Hey, it's Anita, and this is the Anita Posh Show. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Anita Posh Show, where it is my pleasure to keep you informed about topics related to Bitcoin on a global stage and also the local impact it has on communities and regular people. My guest today is Sunny Ray. Sunny is living in Toronto, Canada and has Indian roots. He is the co-founder of UnoCoin, which is India's largest Bitcoin marketplace serving 1.5 million people. As always, you can watch this interview on YouTube and listen to it on the go as a podcast. And you can find all the links that lead you to the different versions at anita.link forward slash subscribe. And now on to the show before a short word from my sponsors. I definitely recommend using a hardware wallet to store your Bitcoin. But if you have difficulties with the technical requirements and maintenance of hardware wallets, you can use the card wallet. The card wallet is a very simple and secure solution for long-term storage of Bitcoin and Ethereum. No software updates needed and it leaves no traces on the blockchain, which is good for your privacy. You can give it away as a gift or inheritance. You can send Bitcoin to it and all you have to do is to store it in a safe place. The manufacturers are the Austrian State Printing House and Coinfinity, Austria's first Bitcoin broker founded in 2014. Listen to my interview with Kai Kremser. He is Card Wallet's product manager at anita.link forward slash 72. If you order your Card Wallet at cardwallet.com forward slash anita, you will get 20% off. Do you want to stay up to date with the things that happen in Bitcoin from my point of view? Then subscribe to Anita's Weekly, my newsletter with articles, videos, quotes, short tips on how to use Bitcoin and all that for free. Subscribe to Anita's Weekly at anita.link slash weekly. Hello, Sunny. Welcome to the Anita Posh Show. Great uh, to have you. Thanks for doing this with me. Hi, Nita. Yeah, it's nice to reconnect with you. It's a pleasure. I'm always like inspired by your name. I guess it's not your real name or. It is. It is it's actually. Real. It's my name. <laughs> what a name. Sunny Ray. Wow. And are you like as, as a person also like a Sunny Ray? I'd like to think I'd like to try to live up to my name, try to be in a good mood whenever I can, but not always. I'm sure my, my wife might not agree with that one. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's good. It's, it's like a nice icebreaker. I remember one of my first jobs that I ever had, they had announced my name on the intercom and I had three people come into my office just to verify if that was actually my really real name. <laughs> like, really? Is that, this is a joke, right? This has to be a joke. <laughs> I can imagine that, yeah. So yeah. can you please tell us a little bit about your roots? I think you live in Canada, but you have quite an interesting story to tell. Yeah, so my story is, yes, I was I was born and raised in Canada. My uh, parents are from India, from Calcutta to be specific. And uh, my story is, I think for me, it just, it starts with the fact that I was born in Canada, but then we'd visit India every year. We even spent a few years living there when I was younger. And Canada is probably one of the nicest places I've ever been to, ever visited, ever lived in. It's like beautiful on many counts. And India is as well, but there are things about India that are 
very different from Canada, mainly like when you see the level of poverty and that, that exists there, it's quite, you know, striking. And so as a kid, we'd always have this like really, we'd grow up playing Nintendo and go to school like everyone else. But then for a couple months of the year, we'd go to a place that was very different. And so I think that helped shape my worldview a bit that the world isn't just always as rosy as maybe as it looks. <laughs> and, and there's maybe room for, for opportunity and for helping other people. I studied electrical engineering. I don't even know why. I think I took to math and maybe, I don't know, as, as an Indian kid, sometimes there's only a few options really when you think about the future. I didn't like blood. So doctor and that thing was out of the question. I, after I remember after I graduated engineering in my first few jobs, I need, I, I think like most people, struggled with money and that was really my first encounter with money my parents never really did like allowances and things like that so I never really had a lot of experience with money and it was a very foreign concept never learned about it in school never learned to really learned about it from anyone and so when I started working I started realizing that after you pay your taxes you pay your student loan you pay your bills you pay your rent you pay this you pay that as a student or as a new kind of employee you realize that there's more month than money. <laughs> there's more days left at the end where you're just left kind of twiddling your fingers, hoping that maybe you had some more money. And so that got me really questioning things around money and what is money and how does it come to be? And, and the more questions I had about it, the less satisfied I felt I was with the answers I was getting around me. And so in my evenings and weekends, I decided that I would essentially become like a financial advisor and start my own brokerage and get all my licenses. And that's what I did. And in my evenings and weekends, I built up a practice and... And that journey, without going into too much detail, really left me more confused than, than answered in terms of my questions. So I, in, in, before the last big financial crisis, I ended up leaving that space and, and actually realized that, that sales and business development and marketing, and these are things that I knew that long term, if I wanted to be an entrepreneur, I'd have to cultivate. And the best way to learn them, again, wasn't really in school, like money. The best way was just to go out there and hard knock life type of deal. So I took on a, a role at a company called Kwanzer. It was a, a robotics company. It is a robotics company. I worked there for almost eight years. And uh, my main role at that company was, again, BD. I helped build out their North America presence. So I helped outfit a lot of the major robotics labs in North America, Latin America. And then in 2011 or so, the CEO of that company was like, India is obviously growing and there's a big market there. And you look Indian, so... <laughs> Why don't you head out there and help us build and grow our business? And after I think a year or two of living out in India, I'd, maybe six months after I moved out there, I, I read the Bitcoin white paper and kind of fell down that rabbit hole. And the rest is history to some extent. But <laughs> that was really my first uh, exposure to Bitcoin. And I, like many others, I went into a six month hibernation where I just, my grandmother was living me, living with me at the time. So she was the only person that would hear me talk about it. And when I finally woke out of my slumber, I decided that I wanted to connect with other people. And, and I actually saw what was happening in Toronto with Anthony DiOrio and the meetups, the Bitcoin meetups in Toronto. And I felt like I was missing out every month. I was like, oh, this Bitcoin thing is awesome. I love it. 
but I can't connect with people. And there was nothing happening in Bangalore at the time. And so I ended up finding some people and essentially doing the first set of Bitcoin meetups with some other guys in, in India. And that was really our first kind of, and again, at the time, we were all convinced that we wanted to do something in Bitcoin, but we just didn't know where the opportunity was. And, and yeah, let's say that was like the, the start of our, our Bitcoin journey. But that's a bit about my backstory before getting into Bitcoin. Yeah, but what was uh, so interesting for you that you knew you wanted to work in that space or spend time with the people who are also interested in it? What did you mm -hmm. see? Did you have a vision that came to mind or did you have something like that would might help also? I you guess know, you also have family in India. Yeah, that's a good question. Jeff Bezos has this like a thing that he talks about. It's called regret minimization. So when he was at the beginning of his career, when he was like, should I leave my comfort, my comfortable job to try and do a startup? He didn't just think about, oh, what if I fail? He thought, oh, when I'm 80, when I think back and am I going to, I want to minimize the regret that I have at that age. And so I want to take as many chances and do as many things as I can. So that was something that had settled in. And then also, Anita, because I studied electrical engineering <laughs> in university, I actually had some friends of mine, really close friends of mine, who had started internet businesses. So this is 20 years ago. They had started internet businesses while I was in engineering. And they said, Sonny, just drop out of school. Come join us. Come into the basement here with us in our, in our parents' basement <laughs> and we'll go build a business. And I said, I hope my parents say that I'm not allowed to do that because that sounds super scary. <laughs> And weird. <laughs> and I didn't. I did the normal thing. I, I studied engineering and watched my my close friends build a company and, and almost set themselves, probably not almost, set themselves financially free by the time I was finished university. <laughs> so my that was my first probably, aside from also seeing my grandparents and my family run businesses, that was my first really close exposure to someone like friends, the people that I played Frisbee with and hung out with actually making millions. And so the internet thing passed me by. The mobile thing, I remember sitting in engineering class, my friends having Blackberries and just us thinking about them and being, wow, this is super cool. But never really clicked that we could do something that we could, that we that we had the tools right in front of us to to build whatever we wanted, missed that opportunity. And then And then Bitcoin was really, for me, was like, there's a lot of big things in the world, right? Politics, religion. We talk about all these things in our last podcast, but none other than money, right? In the sense that I know it's like kind of taboo to talk about it when you talk at a dinner table. It's like people don't like talking about money. But if you just, if you're in the middle of a party, you just say money, <laughs> everybody will turn around and look over. And it's just one of those, if you talk to your grandmother who's 90 years old or your kid who's two or anyone in between or any language or any country or anything, everyone cares about money. Yet when you ask them, what is money? What is this thing that you're getting into divorces for, that you get into world wars for, that you wake up early in the morning and go to sleep late at night, that you go to school for 20 years? What is this thing? And to this day, almost nobody, aside from Bitcoiners, obviously, has been able to answer that question. So I find that fascinating. And to me, that's like the kind of contrarian belief or contrarian thought that's sitting right there in front of all of our faces. Money. 
yet none of us even question what it is or how it came to be. And uh, yeah, and so I, I felt like my quest for trying to understand money came to a, a bit of a conclusion when I read that white paper. It felt like to me that, whoa, th this is the marriage of the internet and this idea, the best form of money that we could ever imagine based on Austrian economics. And, and for me too, while I was in the financial industry, I remember the Occupy Wall Street thing was happening and I never identified with what they were proposing as a solution, but the problems that they were talking about resonated with me at the time because I was like, maybe something is wrong with the, the monetary system and the financial system. And I didn't know what maybe. And I remember on a YouTube video that I was watching of the movement where someone came on and was like, Ron Paul, Ron Paul, you need to learn about Ron Paul. And and I learned about him so much so that I, I was standing, actually, I met him way later, but at that time, I went to one of his rallies and was really into just thought, if Ron Paul could just win, the world will be better. And uh, yeah, anyways, so through a sequence of kind of learnings, you could say, I finally came to the conclusion that, for me at least, that politics will never solve our fundamental problems. And at the end of the day, it'll be code. It'll be just humans, peaceful humans, like just interacting and commercing with one another that'll solve these big problems. But yeah, so Bitcoin was just like, it was like the skies parting, angels. It was just, it was amazing. <laughs> I, I I just couldn't have enough of it. And in what I did know, I knew I wanted to do something in the space, Anita. I didn't know what it was going to be. But I knew that if I was going to build anything, I needed to be around people because that's how businesses are built. It's not just like lone rangers, like just coding and building and doing this. And it's, you need people, of which I didn't have a lot of in, in India. But I also knew that all my close friends were really like, I love sports. Like I like playing sports, but I hate watching unless it's UFC. I hate watching sports. I find it super boring, but all my friends are just into watching sports. So I realized that if I just keep hanging out with people that are talking about baseball and basketball, I'm never going to move anywhere in Bitcoin. I got to be like all in. So my first item of agenda was to surround myself with people that are just as obsessed with me about Bitcoin. And that was my foyer. That's why I, I saw what I was missing in Toronto and scratched that itch by starting these meetups in India. And yeah, and I, the thing like Benson, these other guys, they, they got to the party a bit before me and then they handed it all over to me and said, look, just run with it. You're obviously really passionate about it. And I think every two weeks and we did them a little bit differently too. We, and by the way, Anita, I know you want to spend more time on the the RBI stuff, so maybe taking too much time on my backstory. But but anyway, no, so it's interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so there's a lot to it. But yeah, I think I think Bitcoin in general, to me, I saw a massive opportunity. But I also knew that I needed people around me, and I also knew knew that we knew that we it wasn't going to be easy, and we also knew that we had to be scientific about our approach and not like um, emotional about it. And I think a lot of people, they get really emotional, like their business or whatever it is that they create or build. It's like, it's them, it represents them. And so we just said, okay, let's instead just, let's run experiments. Let's run a hundred experiments. Yep. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Sorry, go ahead. Okay. So you basically were looking for a business opportunity in the big Bitcoin space mm -hmm. in India. So with the people mm -hmm. at your Bitcoin meetups, you got to know people. So how did coin then came to come to existence? <laughs> That's a good question. So UnoCoin was originally just a website that I acquired. So my wife is from Colombia. So I'm, I've been learning Spanish for 10 years. I'm stuck at 500 words. I'm terrible at it. But anyways, one of the words that I know is 
one, <laughs> which is Uno. And I always felt like Bitcoin when I heard about it was like the one. <laughs> it was the one that was going to change the world, I felt. And so I started Uno Coin really initially with the hopes to serve my meetups and my events. So it was just a website where people could come and learn about Bitcoin. It was just anything I would learn. People would be asking me questions at these events. I'd come home answer those questions like in person and then come home and put it on the website. So it was really just a blog, but it was getting a lot of traction and love and people were coming to it. But then it hit us. We're like, wait, but people keep asking us, where do you buy it? And we send them on these like quagmire like trips down the road. Oh, wire here. You wait two weeks and then you got to do jumping jacks. And it's okay. Why don't you just, why don't we just scratch our own itch? And it was really after maybe eight or ten other things that we tried. We tried physical Bitcoins. We ran a Bitcoin mining operation. We did many things. We did conferences, like a massive conference. We just, okay, we just have an idea. Let's try it. Let's try it. Okay, we're going to lose money. It's okay. We're going to lose time. We're going to lose face. It doesn't matter. Like, we're going to just do it. We're going to do it. And that was the spirit. And we just, and so Unocoin initially was just an information. And then in 2013, I needed one day, it was actually in a conversation with a guy named uh, David Johnston, who's uh, one of the founders of MasterCoin. And anyway, so a pioneer in the Bitcoin space. I was talking to him on a, I think, Skype call. And he was the one that initially, I think, planted the idea in my head. He said, Sonny, is there an easy way to buy Bitcoin in India? And I showed him like the websites that were like, just like a really just one page simple thing with a cartoon figure. It was just like no ID, no platform, no wallet. It was just, it was great. It was, it worked, but there was nothing there that, that could, we said, we thought could be like a long-term platform for Bitcoin. And, and that was where the opportunity came up. And so what we did is we took that website, took everything off of it, obviously, and, and rebuilt Sutvik rather. So one of the people that I met through my meetups, was a guy named Satvik who I smile because I just, I love him. He's like my brother from another mother. And Satvik is the CEO of Unocoin and him and I are joint at the hip virtually, I guess you could say. And, and Satvik really is like the relation between us is <clears throat> I'm, I have a lot of ideas. I have a lot of, you know, networks and connections and Satvik just has a lot of execution power. Like he just, he's an MBA. He's an engineer. He's just very resourceful. He's very smart and he just knows how to get stuff done. And so between the two of us, we, you know, if I was like, Hey, let's do a conference. I'd be like, ah, let's delay it by three months. Let's delay it by six months. That's going to be like, no, let's do it next, next month. <laughs> let's do it. And he would just always do it again. So eventually we said, okay, let's just rebuild Unocoin. Let's build something like Coinbase, <clears throat> something that's like secure, something that's safe, something that has <clears throat> like solid investors behind it, something that has, that can scale, that can, you know, serve billions of people and that can bridge that gap between Bitcoin and the masses. And so that was really the beginning of our journey. <laughs> okay. When was that? When did you found And, uh, and then we finally, we, so we came up with the idea mid 2013. And then by the end of 2013, December 2013, we launched, uh, Unocoin at a conference called the Global Bitcoin Conference that we hosted in Bangalore. And so it was like, I don't know, 600, 700 person conference. And it was not my idea, but a couple of the other guys that, that, that did the conference with me, they decided that, look, like Bitcoin, it's inevitable that it's going to be massive. We'll invite everybody. We'll invite competitors, entrepreneurs. Like we don't see, like I, I never see Bitcoin 
like entrepreneurs as competitors. Like I do at, at one level, but ultimately I see them as like collaborators, as friends, because we're all doing the same thing. So we invited them, we invited reporters, we invited professors, like everybody. We were, And we even invited regulators too, right? And to our surprise, the RBI actually did show up. And they had been, I guess, watching the space and was a bit confused by it. And I've shared this story in other podcasts, but it's interesting because and the RBI, by the way, for those maybe of your guests who don't know, is the Reserve Bank of India. <clears throat> and they're the central bank. And so a gentleman from the RBI came. And right at the beginning of the conference, somebody said, come up to me and said, Sunny, somebody wants to speak to you. They're from the RBI. I said, oh, it's great. I walked up to him and he said, look. Are you one of the organizers? I said, I think so. He said, yeah. He's like, if, if anyone even mentions that I'm here, I'm simply going to stand up and, and walk out. And <laughs> so that was my introduction to uh, the RBI. I said, enjoy your samosas. And uh, yeah, <laughs> I won't mention anything. <laughs> so the, anyway, so that was the beginning. And then a week after that, a week after that, there was a notice put on their website saying <clears throat> Bitcoins are volatile bitcoins have security risks and we just warn the general public mm -hmm. of you against using them or it, it was no ban or no nothing like that it was just uh, like an advisory notice and really that was the our welcome into uh, the bitcoin scene <laughs> and that was 2014 or what so the, 2013 the, December 2013 yeah. 13 yeah <clears throat> okay and let's talk a little bit about india india is huge you yeah. have a huge market there. I think 1.4 billion people or something like that. Which is, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because you don't really know, huh? <clears throat> and, yeah, who knows? <laughs> and can you tell us a little bit about the use cases? Hmm. What do, <clears throat> do people use Bitcoin for in India? <clears throat> I was going to say, I'll definitely go into the use case, Anita. About, if you don't mind, I wanted to also just level set on why at least I have been bullish on India. And then I think I have a unique view. I know some people are probably listening. They're like, oh, this guy's not even Indian. He just looks Indian. <laughs> um, he's from Canada. But I think it's interesting because I was raised outside of India and spent like years in India and living in India and whatnot. And as an adult, even having spent time there. I feel like that gives me a unique view because I can like, like literally take India, put it up against the rest of the world and kind of look at well, where the opportunities might be and whatnot. Anyways, I've always felt that. So for number one, gold. <laughs> so gold is mm -hmm. massive. My parents, my mom, obviously everybody loves gold. And so I think that the fact that Bitcoin, you know, is digital gold without going into too much detail about that. If you want, we can. But I think the fact that it lends itself towards that narrative. <laughs> like, okay, who, <laughs> what country loves gold more than India? I can't find many. And so I think that is awesome. And then if you look at the fact that it's digital gold means that obviously if you have a population that is more digitally savvy, that has, if you have more programmers that live in your country, then you have maybe more people to be early adopters because it is obviously a bit scary for like brand new people. And even though companies have made it easy to get Bitcoin and get exposure. We think that the fact that there's a lot of people who can literally look at the white paper and the code base and make their <clears throat> own educated decision is fascinating. And so our, so digital gold, that narrative <laughs> is front and center. And I would say if I had to find a use case or whatever it is, that is the one. Yeah. Second, if I had to pick a second, distant second, maybe, is uh, remittance. So you hear a lot about how remittance is, Bitcoin's going to disrupt remittance. 
I know it hasn't yet. There's this new company called, I think, Global Strike. I keep hearing about this guy. And we, I've actually worked for a company called Buttercoin. In fact, I didn't even mention that as a part of my story. But before I went full-time with Unocoin in December or mid, mid-2013, mid Anita, I actually... In organizing that event, I ended up meeting the CEO of a company called Buttercoin out of Silicon Valley. And they were backed by Google Ventures that come out of Y Combinator. And they had actually hired, they offered me a job and I ended up accepting it in mid 2013 as their head of business development. So I worked for them for almost a year. And during that time, I'll be honest, Unocoin, I didn't think it would, anything would come of it because everything we tried prior to that had failed miserably. <laughs> I had no reason to believe that this would work, but not failed, but like nothing had popped, if you will. And, and here I thought, okay, I'm working for a Google backed company. This company's definitely going to kill it versus whatever has been happening here. And to my surprise, that's fake surprised me and built not only the platform in less than a few months, but started onboarding users, started getting profitable, revenue positive, and all just organically and very interestingly. Anyway, so I've had a lot of kind of detours along the way, Anita. I don't know if uh, maybe going off track, I'll let you bring us back back home here, but yeah. <laughs> so you say the, the place like India is made for Bitcoin in a way because people love gold. So they'll know uh, that it's a long-term store of value. Yep. You have a lot of developers in the country. Mm -hmm. India is known for the many people working as a developer or any other, like this virtual assistance and all this stuff. And, and also for remittances, of course, because if you have developers in the country working for people abroad, then they mm -hmm. can be paid in Bitcoin. A hundred percent. In fact, that is the case. And that was always something I remember I was talking to a guy named Tony Gallippi, the founder of BitPay way back in the day. And, and he was like, he told us like, look, like the developers, like there's a lot of them and you, you want to make sure you cater to them. And so. One thing we learned really early on, because I was touching on the remittance point, um, that's like I went off on a tangent with Buttercoin, but the remittance thing, we started noticing that a lot of our, way back in the day, a lot of our users would come to us and say, hey, look, when I use other remittance platforms, I won't name them, I'm sure people know who they are. When I use these other platforms and I, let's say, get a $1,000 sent from the United States or from San Francisco or whatever from my counterpart, I will get $900 or I'll get $920 and it'll take a week for me to get the money. But when I use Bitcoin, when I use Unocoin, when I use this service, it's obviously like I, it's, I get all the money, I get it right away. And it's way faster, way cheaper. Like, what's going on? This is awesome. And so one of the things we started doing is we started going, well, if people are are looking at that as a use case, why don't we make it a little bit easier for them? And why don't we give them like an auto sell function? Because the only complaint we would get is people would say, if at nighttime, I get paid, I wake up in the morning and the price of Bitcoin went down 5%. So I lost 5%. So we said, okay, why don't we introduce like a, an auto sell? Make it so that uh, as soon as Bitcoin hits your wallet, we just auto sell it and send the money to your, to your bank account. So now, and you never need to log in again. You just set it up once and it's done. And that was tens of thousands of users just use that one tiny functionality, which again is on that remittance thing. And we think there's an opportunity to make remittance easier, more friendly. And, and I'm, I'm specifically very passionate about remittance, mainly because people talk about like foreign aid or oh, governments dumping money in poor countries and oh, it's going to help the world. And, and it does. It does. 
But I actually believe that things like remittance are actually far more effective. And if you can make remittance cheaper, you can help people more because of one simple fact. Who knows better the needs of, let's say, a group of people, a government or like your son <laughs> or your mom or someone. So I'm a big fan of trying to figure out how to make remittance cheaper and faster and better because, like I said, I grew up seeing my parents send money back home my whole life. And, and that's like a problem set that I think is exciting. So I would say those are the two that I am very passionate about. But now 10 years in, you could say everything could be rebuilt on top of Bitcoin to some extent, right? Those are the two that I think have been front and center, but you're starting to see, obviously, decentralization being more important. Mm -hmm. And are you going to also uh, facilitate the Lightning Network for your platform? Yeah, to enable yeah, smaller on some payments? Stuff. Yeah, mm -hmm. you know, we, we haven't yet, mainly because I guess we haven't gotten to the story yet of what actually happened in India because two years ago, blah, yes. blah, blah. <laughs> but yeah, we were, we had, a, well, anyways, when we go into that, you'll know, but we, 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 the company was in a bit of a rut, if you will, for almost two years and we climbed out of that just a couple months ago. And, but yeah, Lighting Network integration is definitely top of mind. Okay, I understand. Okay, yeah. How many people have you served now, or how many customers have you have you had, or do you have at the moment? Can you I say that? One point seven million or something like that mm -hmm. users. So almost two million at our peak. I think we were onboarding maybe ten, fifteen thousand users a day. This was in like the twenty seventeen kind of rush. And what do you see now? What have you seen in twenty twenty? A rise in users. How has it been? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Oh, I was gonna say, Anita, would it make sense to actually share the backstory so people have a yes, bit more context? Sure, uh, sure, so then sure. maybe I can, I, but, but just to answer your question though, I don't want to not answer them. Yeah, it's been phenomenal, obviously. And just to give some context, by the way, we use other platforms as well. I just use Alexa just because most people know about it, but we were like, I think the hundred thousandth website on, on the internet two months ago, three months ago. And now we're this morning, I checked, we were like 47,000. What? <laughs> like wow, we went wow. from 100,000 to 47,000 in two months. To me, that's uh -huh. miraculous. It's not as good as the other big companies out there, but that is, you got to celebrate your wins. And so every day we're climbing almost a thousand, thousand positions on the internet. We're amongst the maybe top 3,000 websites in India, maybe 3,500 websites in India. So things are going really good. We're back in business. Tim Draper just invested in us. We won the court case, which I'll end up maybe talking about later. You, if you don't want to talk about <laughs> it, I'm okay with that too. <laughs> no, <laughs> But no, no, I'm just I'm, kidding. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I, I wanted to talk about that as a main point and ask Please. you now, uh, because I just wanted to show or to ask you if there also has an uptick in cryptocurrency and Bitcoin usage in India as well as it also has been in Africa, for instance. So yes, it has. Yeah, it's Great. Up big time. Good 100%. to know. Mm -hmm. And so now the backstory from Unicoin, you told me you, you were like shut down or sued by the <laughs> Royal banked. Bank or something like that. Please tell us that story. Yeah, so I alluded, I, I foreshadowed it earlier with, with my encounter with the gentleman from RBI in 2013. But that notice that I mentioned resurfaced itself on the website, on their website a few times over the course of almost seven or eight years. And then, in, and again, there's a lot of details and nuances and there's like a 200 page like PDF and Supreme Court this that people can read about it. But I'm just glossing over a lot of the finer details because it'll take forever. But essentially, 
when things got in December 2017 or around 2017 uh, time frame. Long story short, the central bank decided to elevate kind of its position on Bitcoin and decided to not just put a notice out there, but also to to issue a notice on their website prohibiting all of the banks in India that are under their jurisdiction, which is all of them almost, to deal with Bitcoin companies such as Unocoin. That was the, so it wasn't really a ban, Bitcoin ban. It wasn't really a lawsuit. It was a, it was a, it was them telling their banks that they cannot deal with crypto companies. (laughs) And that was obviously, I laugh about it now, but that was obviously devastating. Anita, it was heart wrenching. We, there's a little bit of a backstory there. So at Unocoin, we, on a personal note, maybe I'll just share some, like some of my thoughts. I, I obviously, the face of this notice, we saw it coming. We knew it was coming. And my initial gut reaction was to say, hey, let's build something that is like P2P, something like local Bitcoins. Have you ever used local Bitcoins or any of these platforms? Mm-hmm. So our instinct was if they're going to shut down central bank, like uh, if the central bank is going to prohibit centralized exchanges from servicing our customers, then the obvious next step is to allow our customers, 2 million of them or 1.7 million of them to interact between one another. That's from a first principles perspective. That's if you were all in a room together. And if I'm the one that's just create a way for everyone to connect like directly, like that just makes sense. However, due to my bunch of reasons, we decided not to go that way. Legal feedback, this, that. Some of our other founders didn't really want to go that way. And so these other guys, uh, our co-founder decided and with our lawyers decided that, look, okay, there's this bank ban. We're not allowed to use our bank account for servicing customers until we, and, and by the way, in the meantime, what happened is it's a bit convoluted, but we ended up essentially taking them to the court over this notice. And by we, I mean like the community at large. So we all can't, so no coin and the other, some of the other Bitcoin companies came. So a lot of them actually just fled <laughs> and that should be noted. <laughs> When things got really tough, most of them just disappeared, okay? And th- and one of the reasons I'm making a lot of noise lately on the internet is is to not to be hard on those people, but to let the world know that some people stood up. I'm not saying it's me even. It was more like my co-founders. Some people stood up and some people ran. <laughs> so don't be the runner <laughs> is my main message. But I we did go through a lot. So anyway, so our guys had determined that if we're going to service our customers, if we're not going to go the P2P route, maybe we could launch some Bitcoin kiosks. So just machines that would enable our customers to come and get their Bitcoin with cash. And we would do KYC on them so that if something nefarious happened, we could still work with law enforcement. We just wanted to make sure that people could get their Bitcoin. That was our main intention. So we launched our machine in a mall, not launched, sorry, let me take that back. We just put our machine in a mall. It was about two weeks away from launch. And that's very important because it wasn't even operational for anyone that's maybe even thinking, oh, something we do. Anyway, so it wasn't even operational. Somebody saw it. Some random person saw it, took a picture of it. It went viral on the internet. And when I say viral... I've never seen anything go as viral as that. <laughs> like every, like it was just like, what? This bank ban, but now Unocoin is launching an ATM machine. It went insane. The news picked it up. And then I think 40 or 50 reporters swarmed this tiny mall owner's like office. It was just like mayhem. One thing led to another. And essentially 
the police finally thought, okay, something must not be right and decided to come and take away the ATM machine and my two co-founders for a day. And when then were eventually let go because there was no reason to hold them because our machine wasn't even operational. And even if it was, it's, there's nothing wrong with it. <laughs> but because of all the confusion and everything that had happened. And I share this story mainly because, mainly because if I now fast forward to this court case, which concluded earlier this year in March, there's, like I said, there's actually like five kind of key points that the court case was fought on. And I don't want to overshadow those points. Those points were important. The, the, and some of those points include things like the severity of the notice and the effects of it weren't like properly explored. They didn't look at kind of international cases of what's happening around the world before they introduce this bank ban and so on. There's about four or five reasons and our lawyers obviously did a really good job of addressing all those major points and showing the judges that, that they were unfounded. However, the anecdotal part that I like to share that doesn't get covered, you know, as much is the fact that all three judges at one point near the end of the court case said, okay, great. Like you guys are saying, like us as an, uh, the, the Bitcoin community, you guys are saying that this is unconstitutional, that the, that this bank ban is unconstitutional. But the constitution applies to people, not necessarily companies or like these formations of companies or these organizations. Show us an example of where an individual's life was impacted. And it was literally Harish, our co-founder, who was on the stand and was our lawyers who have been our lawyers since 2013 that were fighting this. And the fact that we had to lay off a hundred people a year before, the fact that Harish's livelihood was impacted and all of ours were, the fact that the wrongful arrests, the taking away of our, our ATM machines and on all these things eventually led all three, you know, judges to, to decide that this bank ban was unconstitutional. And it was overturned and, and the next day, it was a Saturday, the bank, the bankers were at Sutvik's house getting us back online and, and ready to go because our bank has no problems with us. They like us. They, they like making money. It's, uh, the central bank that was always against us. And the other second reason I'm also coming on the mic and trying to get more people excited is that this is not the end, right? Meaning there's probably way more bigger challenges coming and, it's up to us to stand up and fight. And I would say what happened, if you, even a year ago, if you would have asked me, because a year ago, it was like maybe a month away from the decision or two months away, if you would have said, Sunny, what are the odds that you think that Unocoin will actually come out alive? I was literally working for Kraken. <laughs> I'd, I'd left the project, meaning I would have said like a negative 50% chance. We have a scrappy startup that we started seven years ago against the people who print money. <laughs> and we have words that tell us that they want to get rid of our industry. We're not going to win. Like the chance of us winning are almost uh, nil. When we launched Unocoin in December 2013, Right after Christmas, right after that event, I flew to Colombia to visit my wife's family. And a week or two later, shit hit the fan. And that notice that I mentioned came out. We had 30 people from the tax department at our four-person startup, like at our front door, coming and asking us a million questions. And I saw this. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to lie. I called Satvik. I said, let's hang up our gloves. We don't need to be doing this. Go back to your virtual reality business. I'll go back to my robotics or Bitcoin, whatever I'll do. And let's just, let's call it a day. And Satvik's like, Sunny, you're a Canadian. If you... If I shut this thing down, like you're probably going to go start some other business, go work somewhere else. But he's like, but if I give up on Bitcoin today, after not having done anything wrong, like we're doing everything right, he's like, then my entire country will lose out on Bitcoin. 
And I really, to this day, think that sattvic's like courage is one of the main reasons that Bitcoin e- exists in India today. And yeah, so congratulations so, to him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, really, congratulations to him because you all put yourself into high risk. And I guess it also costs you a lot of money to fight this court case. Of course. Of course. And by the way, yeah, I didn't, so, I, who I didn't thank are the two like massive groups of people are. Unocoin is lucky in a way where I think more recently this year you had, you saw some pretty notable investors enter India. But prior to this year, I don't think I can name any other company in, in, in India that's still alive that was backed by people like Barry Silbert. Barry, I told you at the beginning of the, my Unocoin journey, I left. I worked for another company called Buttercoin. It was when I left. Barry invested in Unocoin. Think about that. Barry believed in the company I started before I did. <laughs> so obviously guys like Barry Silber have, they're, they're not really noisy and they don't try and take credit, but these are the people that if it wasn't for them, we wouldn't be where we are. And then Tim Draper a couple months ago invested in us. Adam Draper has been a believer and supporter of us in a long time. Max Kaiser. So, so our investors, we have like amazing investors and, and we, purposefully chose our investors. We chose crazy people. Like we chose people that <laughs> if the Bitcoin price goes down 50%, 70%, they're not going anywhere. They're not going to call us and freak us out. Oh, you guys made a mistake. No, they get it. They get that this thing's here for the long run. Yeah. So for us, it's been, it's so, so that's one. And then the set in the last group and probably the group that deserves the most amount of thanks more than Sutfik, more than even our investors is our customers, right? Like we have millions of customers that have been buying and selling crypto. And by the way, they should be, if if they bought and held, <laughs> a lot of them should be pretty good right now. But them buying or selling for to meet their livelihood, that that is what feeds our business. That's what's enabled us to stay alive and serve and fight and do everything. And- yeah. And is this ban or taking away for a lifetime now? Will there never we be don't, a ban uh, again? So, so again, so I don't want to use the word ban because there actually mm-hmm. is an actual Bitcoin ban in the horizon in India that hopefully won't happen. But again, it's and a ban is like where the country and the government and all the people say, Hey, we don't want Bitcoin like ever. And if you even talk about it, like you're banned. That's what I think of a ban. What happened to us was very targeted. It was literally a central bank saying, we don't want the banks dealing with cryptocurrency companies. That was really what happened. So that what happened I'm not a lawyer. I'm not like a political expert, but from what I understand, the likelihood of that happening again, probably not too high just because they would have to have a very strong precedence. And, and by the way, Anita, this was the second time in history that the Supreme Court overruled the central bank. Second wow. time in history. This is unprecedented. This doesn't happen, right? You should have, oh, when the movie is made, you will see it. the attitude of You're doing the central a movie. bankers. Well, I'm just, I don't know. It's just a producer that hears this. Maybe they'll pick it up. (laughs) Yeah, I talk about as if the movie's going to happen for sure. But no, I don't have an actual movie, but there will be a movie. But the attitude of the central bankers, even I remember early on in the court case was like, to the, pretty much to the Supreme Court judges, like the people was, who are you to tell us what to do? Oh, okay, shots fired. Anyway, so yeah, it's been an adventure and a half. And for almost two years, we were buried like our company was nothing. And so we didn't talk much. We were just whatever. And so ever since this has turned around and Unocoin's now like back, I guess you could say, we've been, I've been 
almost every day you see me on the internet making a fool out of myself. <laughs> I guess this event or this court case, as you said it also before, it influenced yourself in a way because you had this journey, like you had to take on another job. You didn't, you had to pay a lot for this court case. And, and your message, as I understand it, is there will be more obstacles like this for the use of Bitcoin in the world because they want to regulate it even more. And your message is? My message is, okay, so one of my favorite quotes is by a guy named Vinod Kozla. It's that success matters, failure is inconsequential. So success matters, failure is inconsequential. So yeah, so that's probably my one of my favorite quotes just because, you know what I mean? Like, When I'm 80, I'm going to have failed maybe a million times. But as long as I've got three or four, mm -hmm. <laughs> like, big wins, that's all that really matters. Whereas most people, in hopes of not failing hundreds of times, people won't even put themselves in a position to win big a couple times. So I think success matters, failure is inconsequential is probably one of my favorite quotes. And then the other one is, it's like entrepreneurship. I think Elon Musk said this, is like chewing glass and staring into the abyss. <laughs> so you want to do this you got to really love and believe whatever you're going and i really believe in bitcoin we would mm. not i could be making like have a way better jobs make way more money but we chose this path it's higher it's risky but again for us it's it's risky to not do this if that makes any mm. sense it's like mm -hmm. it's riskier for the world for us just for in every for my kids so my message is, yeah, just one life to live. Go make it happen. Same as everyone else. I really believe that. I think one of my biggest, uh, you know, pet peeves is that I, I think people think that all you need is like money and intelligence to win. I think the thing that most people or I, I overlook as well is courage. Mm -hmm. And so find <laughs> courageous co-founders, if that's my final message. I don't know. Or build it up yourself. But Yeah, build on Bitcoin. And now everyone's talking about all-time highs, getting rich, this. That's all good. But Bitcoin um, allows, you can, Lanita's got lots of amazing material and Andreas and the whole world's putting, there's like so much material out there. It's really up to you to go out there and, and learn it and and find your place in it. And I think these things like podcasts, events, Anita, these are amazing because these are the kind of things that enable people to get onboarded, to learn, to connect with others. And so I'm so happy that you're doing what you're doing. And uh, yeah, it's been a pretty, pretty fun experience. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, thank you very much. And what do you see uh, for the future of Bitcoin, like in the next year or in the next years? And also what are the plans for UnoCoin? Uh, yeah. So in terms of Bitcoin, I try not to make price predictions. Excuse oh. me. I'm not a financial advisor. Do your own research. Da, da, da. But there's a guy named Crypto Picasso on Twitter who I recently came across on Clubhouse, actually. And there's something with Bitcoin that is... Okay, my, my general suggestion to everyone out there is just dollar cost average, buy it, hold, don't worry about timing the market. But I, I do think that after having been in this space for so long, that there are patterns. If you look at the charts and you look at the numbers, like Bitcoin is an organism and uh, Bitcoin is uh, it's subject to... It's subject to a lot of really interesting phenomena. So, I, okay. So long story short, I think that we're in a bull market. I think the bull market will 
potentially take us to 10x where we are right now. And then subsequent to that bull market, there will be a, a catastrophic crash that will bring us down to levels maybe twice of where we are now. And they will maybe remain around there for, for a couple of years. And then the cycle will again repeat itself from 2023 to 2026. And that's my high level thing of where I think Bitcoin is going. No coin. Yeah, we're just super excited. Look, our app, like Android, like we got people are obviously using it and it's come back. We've got, we're doing a lot of things to make our user experience way better. We've got just, we've got a lot of things. Generally, we never talk about stuff that we're going to be doing in the future at UnoCoin just as like, a, I don't know, as we just don't. We try and once it's done and it's ready to go, then we talk about it just because you know what I mean? It was like under promise, over deliver. I don't know what the saying is, but I hate it when it's <laughs> yeah. like, we say, oh, we're going to do this. And people are like, oh, you said you're going to do it, but you didn't. But it's like, okay, just don't say it. <laughs> but no, but our goal is bring Bitcoin to billions. What I will say is that with what happened to us in India, we took the path of, of challenging the central bank in court. And I think for us, well, I think that was the right path. There are other companies that took a different path when there are companies that built P2P platforms and that have done a, a good job. It's, I would say, a good job, good job at addressing what may have been an existential threat to Bitcoin in India. And so we spent, I spent a lot of time thinking about, oh, how do not, how do we fight the next court case? But instead, how do we build technology that is, that's just more robust, that's more resilient, that is like Bitcoin, right? Like a, a centralized exchange is not like Bitcoin. It's like almost the complete opposite. So how do we decentralize our, our efforts, our, like our job, our company, our, our, our service? How do we make it so that if something bad happens again in the future, we don't skip a beat. So I'd say, so that maybe I'll, I'll stop there, but that, that should give people a pretty good idea of the different things we're looking at and, and, and I didn't, I don't know if I meant, yeah, I did mention. So I did, yeah, I've worked for, you know, companies in the Valley and uh, North America. So I, I have a pretty good pulse on what's happening, whether it's like derivatives and I'm from Toronto. So I've known the Vitalik's and Ethereum people way before they even launch Ethereum type of deals. So I feel like I've got my, my ear on the pulse, but, but yeah, but we'll see how things pan out. You never know. Great, thank you. So thanks for this interesting uh, discussion and uh, chat we had. Can you tell our listeners, please, where they can find you and follow your work? Yeah, and Nita, thanks again for giving me this opportunity. This was really fun. I So where can people come? Is just where they can, so U-N-O-C-O-I-N, unocoin.com is where they can get links to Android and iOS. <clears throat> And then I'm also a part of a project called paycase.com in Canada, which we've been, you know, at for a long time. And it's essentially just an OTC desk here in Canada. So people can, if they're in Canada, they can check that out. India, it's Unocoin. And then just on a personal note, sunnyray.com. I've been just putting stuff up there more just for fun. And I'm just trying to capture some of, before we actually make that movie, I figured I'll just, you know, <laughs> take a stab at it and put whatever I can up there. And so I've been capturing a lot of my thoughts and just general banter on sunnyray.com. And then as Anita, I'm doing, I'm doing a similar podcast thing in terms of interviewing people. I'm on episode 71 and people can get to that by just, again, I think building on Bitcoin.com that should take them there. So I've been just interviewing people and releasing an interview every day, just trying to, you know, get the word out. Yeah. Every, every day is quite a pace. Yeah. <laughs> quite yep. a good pace. Great. Okay. I will put all those links in the show notes. 
Thank you very much again. It was great to have you on and also to be a guest in your show. Thanks for that. That too. was awesome. And yeah, I hope that in 2021 or latest 2022, I can meet you in person. <laughs> awesome. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I know I was saying is we, we got to do events, physical, like in-person yeah. events, I think are going to be ginormous once, once they're back. So looking forward to it. Thank you, Anita. Yes, great. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks so much for joining the Anita Posh Show today to learn more about Bitcoin. You can find the show notes for this conversation on anita.link slash show. If you want to get the best stories in Bitcoin from my point of view in your mailbox, go to anita.link slash weekly and subscribe. And if you have a question or just want to send me some feedback, drop me a line at hello at anitaposh.com. See you next week when it's time for the Anita Posh Show. Music, start with yes, delicate beats. Content, idea and production, Anita Posh. <laughs>